Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. I'm so excited to welcome our guest today to the Hazard Girls podcast. Rachel Street is the president of Hesia Construction. She's also a real estate agent, designer, and TV star. She's the host of the show Philly Revival on the DIY Network, where she saves historic homes by preserving their original 18th and 19th century features and adding modern amenities, turning them into stunning and distinctive properties. Rachel's construction projects and real estate listings have been featured in many local and national publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Insider, Philadelphia Magazine, the Washington Post Magazine, the Philadelphia Inquirer, House and Home, and many more. She was awarded Philadelphia Magazine's Best of Philly 2019 Best Contractor, as well as the 2019 Philadelphia Inquirer's Influencers of Real Estate Rising Star Award. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that we're able to do this. For our listeners, you heard that Rachel is the host of Philly Revival on the DIY Network. And some of you might remember that we are also based in Philadelphia. So I have had the pleasure of working with Rachel before. Last year, before the pandemic hit, we hosted an in-person Hazard Girls career panel. And Rachel was on that panel talking to students and their parents about working in the construction field and the trades. So it's nice for us to catch up again, Rachel. Same, same. Good to speak with you again. Well, I talked in your intro about your construction work, but that wasn't how you started out your career, is it? No. So I actually studied to be an opera singer. So that was my first career. And then from there, you know, obviously not the most lucrative career choice. (laughs) Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's go back a little bit because you kind of got me an opera singer. Tell us more about this. What do you mean you started as an opera singer? Is that something that you studied in college? Yeah, so I uh, went to college for music, vocal performance. So my goal was to be an opera singer. And after college, I lived in Italy for three years. And I was singing over there and studying and performing. But it was in the recession. So it was kind of a tough time to make a living in general, but much less in the opera world. (laughs) And opera is a difficult career in general. But uh, I moved uh, back to the States because I actually needed to have a surgery on my sinuses. And so it took me out of music for a while. And I started working in real estate with my father. So you were in Italy, you said for three years doing opera singing. What was that like? It was awesome. I I sang a lot of Spanish classical music as well. So I kind of traveled back and forth a lot between uh, Italy and Spain. So it was a great experience and, and it was also moving abroad and so forth. But yeah, so it was, it was really cool. Did you grow up in Philly? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Philadelphia area. I was born here in, in Philadelphia and grew up uh, in the suburbs. I also lived uh, abroad in Mexico for a little bit too. 
um, which is why I speak Spanish. So, um, but yeah, mostly Philadelphia area. So I can't, I keep coming back here. I love Philly. So yeah. Well, I thought that was interesting that you're from Philly, but you're fluent in Italian and Spanish. How did that happen? So same thing, just, you know, from, from living abroad, that's how I, I became fluent. So Italian is pretty simple to learn if you, if you speak Spanish. So, you know, I could understand a lot already when I got to Italy, but then when I got there, I took some courses and, and studied it to, to learn how to speak it properly. Okay. My grandmother, her father was Italian. And so she grew up hearing Italian. And when, when we went to Mexico, she started speaking Italian to everyone and they understood her. Yeah, the, the base is pretty similar. Like a lot of the words are really similar. So when I got to Italy, I was like speaking Spanish with what I thought was an Italian accent. <laughs> like yeah. Most people understood me more or less. But taking the courses there was was great and, and you can pick it up pretty quickly. So interesting. So, okay, so then you decided, well, you came back for a surgery and then you ended up staying here. Is that when you started getting into real estate? Yeah, so my dad was a commercial mortgage broker. And so... When I got back here, there weren't a lot of job opportunities for somebody with a music degree in the middle of the recession. <laughs> so I did temp jobs, which were soul killing. And then you know, I finally agreed to come work in my dad's office, um, just doing admin stuff. And I, I got my real estate license and I uh, studied during that time, I studied to be an appraiser and I started putting together the loan packages. So when you have like a commercial property that you're analyzing, we, we would do a lot of the analysis and, and uh, you know, the financial analysis as well of the properties to present it to the different lenders and, and get a loan. So you really started on the back end of the real estate business then, the, the sort yeah. of the back office, learning yeah. all the numbers. Yeah. So it was one of those things that I fell into. I had like zero interest in it um, <laughs> when I started <laughs> And I ended up working with my father for a few years. And during that time, we had a client who had, he had a really interesting business model. He looked like a biker, like he was like a, you know, big burly man with a big beard. And he had a landscaping business. But his business was really interesting because he would hire people year round. So he wasn't just relying on college students that could work during the summers, you know, to do landscaping. He would hire uh, employees year round and during the spring and summer, they would do landscaping. And then in the fall and winter, he would have them fix up these cheap properties that he was buying uh, in a small town outside of Philadelphia. And so he amassed a really big rental portfolio. He was buying super cheap homes and fixing them up himself uh, with his crew. And I think he you know, had over 100 homes by the time I met him. And so I thought that was pretty interesting and it made me want to invest in real estate, but you know, I was not earning a lot of money there. So I bought a primary, my primary residence in South Philadelphia, it was just a little row home and uh, I rented out the other bedrooms in the room. It, I rented out the other bedrooms in the home and I did a little, a few upgrades to the property and basically I worked it out so that I, my roommates were covering my mortgage and most of my bills. So during that time, I was trying to save up to buy my first property. And I couldn't afford anything that was renovated. So I saved up to buy basically a shell. I mean, it was it was technically, I guess, livable, but it had been a 
a hoarder home and in really bad shape. And I got that property under contract. And then about the next day, my, my father passed away suddenly. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden I had two mortgages and I had pretty much no job. And I had to make some decisions about uh, what I was going to do. And so I decided to sell my house and I moved into a shell and I lived in the property while I renovated it for, I want to say around six months or so, because uh, I couldn't afford to pay two mortgages for long. But my primary residence that when I sold it, I made a good profit on it and I made about $60,000. So I took that money and I used it to renovate the property I'd purchased. And then it just kind of became a snowball. People asked me to, I always had fun with the design. I like making my properties unique. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. So you know, I sold that property and I purchased the next property and, and it just kind of picked up from there. And how did you catch the attention of the DIY network? So I was not planning on being on TV at all. I was never on my radar, but I got a an email from somebody saying, oh, we saw your Instagram and, you know, basically wanted to know if you ever wanted to be on TV. And I thought it was one of those kind of scams where it's like, give us $600. And we'll yeah. <laughs> but uh, I didn't respond. And then they actually called me later and I was like, oh, this is, this is real. <laughs> so I guess they saw my Instagram. And at that point I had, I had taken my real estate license and transferred. I shut down my father's business. I ran it for a year. Um, to finish out all of our our projects while I was renovating the house. So I was basically like, you know, living at the shell where I didn't have a working bathroom or kitchen. I was showering at the gym and I was going to the office working there. And then I started selling real estate as a real estate agent. So when I transferred my license into that real estate company, they told me that I needed to uh, have social media and I was never a big social media person. (laughs) So... Um, I got an Instagram account and, you know, I didn't know what to put up. So I just put pictures of the projects and pictures of us working and so forth. And that's how they found me. And then from there, it's a large process. They basically pitch ideas to the network, you know, from all over the country. And then they sort of narrow down the choices until you get what's called a pilot episode, which is just kind of like a test episode. And then one day the producer called me and she was like, are you sitting down at a series? I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) So completely unexpected. And while I was doing it, I kind of felt like, you know, I shouldn't be here. I'm just like this little tiny company in Philly, but um, it was, it's been a really cool experience. And people love it. And and part of that is, well, a huge part of that is you and your personality and how inspirational you are. And then a big part of it is your work and how you take these homes that are historic old homes, but you don't totally get them. You leave the best aspects of them. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I've always loved history. My parents were in the historical society and I was, I've just always loved older homes and Philadelphia is unique in that we have a large housing stock that is from, you know, the turn of the century. And those homes have a lot of really cool original details, but a lot of developers are going in and ripping everything out and starting over which is more cost effective, but it really kind of strips the houses of their soul. So 
In my business, what I've tried to do is create a business where we respect the history of the home and the original architecture of the home, but add some more modern details and modern elements and obviously modern conveniences like air conditioning and you know updated electric and stuff like that. But trying to leave those original details like moldings, pocket doors, stained glass windows, things like that. So we like to go in and when I look at a property, I try to keep as much as possible uh, as long as it makes sense. So we'd spend a lot of extra money on our projects when we're renovating them to restore some of the original features. So that could be the facade of the property. A lot of the row homes here in Philadelphia are, are brick. Some of the more extravagant homes that were built back in the day are, you know, have leaded glass windows and, and special tiles. So you see some of that on the show as well, where we go in and we make some custom tile to match the missing pieces in uh, a vestibule of one of our properties. And we will restore the glass or bring in reclaimed doors. So there's some homes that we do that don't have a lot of history left in them. And so we use a lot of reclaimed building materials like old doors and windows and so forth, and try to add some character back into the space. That's so, so great. Philly's, Philly's crazy that way. You can kind of drive down the street and see like beautiful historic door pieces like on people's front stoop. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the, there's a, actually a factory, a door factory really close to my house in South Philly. I think it was called the Tofani Door Factory. And they made these special doors uh, that have a window and are in the window. So you'll see one of those on the show as well. And there's there's a lot of history in Philly. And I, I think, you know, all of those original details uh, is what makes, you know, houses unique. Otherwise, you're just kind of creating a lot of big gray boxes and, and that gets old quickly. So we, we try to make each of our projects unique and make it a, every every home that we do is different from the last I don't like to repeat designs unless somebody specifically asks for them, but we try to make each one unique and interesting. Well, you've talked about a little bit about social entrepreneurship. I've seen in articles um, that you've been interviewed in and building a business that also includes community service. And I know that you've done community service works. You've done some pro bono repair work. You've also mentored at-risk youth and and taught some business skills to them and taught them about trades and you've done neighborhood block builds and cleanups. How, how does this factor into your work and why is this important to you? So I've always been, I went to a Quaker school growing up and Quakers are really into social justice and so forth. So especially with construction and development, you know, you inevitably contribute to, you know, kind of widening the gap between people. And I wanted to attempt to build a business that doesn't widen the gap, but rather kind of uplifts the community as a whole. So I tried to think of ways in which I could do that through our skill set at the company. And so we've organized, um, you know, when you're on TV, a lot of companies will reach out to you and offer you free things in order to be (laughs) featured or and it's funny because when I was starting my business, I went into my bank where I had my bank accounts and I asked them for a line of credit and they denied me. But <laughs> it's like, as soon as you, you get on TV or you get a little bit of notoriety, then 
people start giving you things, which is, is kind of ironic because that's you need them when you're starting out, right? And I thought, well, okay, what if I can kind of repurpose some of these things and use them to help other people who are in need? So we started a program where we will do pro bono renovations or repairs for homeowners in, in need. So we've done some for people who are either, for whatever reason, unable to care for their home financially, or whether it's just a, a physical thing, whether they're elderly or um, have some sort of ailment. And we've done everything from, you know, a bathroom renovation up to a new roof, uh, painting, whatever it needs. And because in Philadelphia, it's kind of shocking to see such a, a disparity in how people are living. And we have a lot of aging housing stock that's in poor condition. And there are little repairs that maybe cost a few hundred dollars to do. But if they're not done, could destroy your house. Like if you have a leaky roof or something like that. So some people can't come up with that small amount of money to do these repairs that will literally save their home from, you know, being completely flooded or full of mold. And and so we try to go in and and help with that. Uh, And we have a lot of partners that will help us, whether it's suppliers, uh, like tile companies, flooring companies, um, to other contractors that, you know, there's a roofing company that that stepped in and donated a roof for one of our projects. Um, And so we try to like put all the pieces together and donate our own labor and uh, materials as well and help as many people as possible on the renovation side. And then with kind of teaching about business, I'm a foster mom. And so I, there are a lot of kids in Philadelphia, especially who could benefit from some financial education and education about how to build your business. I think that's awesome. And you also have talked a little bit about business skills and you know, how it's important to share, to share the skills that you've learned with others. How can you translate what you've accomplished to help others in this way? So we do, I've done a lot of work with, uh, with kids, especially on how to build a business and, um, a little bit of financial education. So especially in Philadelphia, a lot of kids here rarely leave their neighborhoods. So, if you grow up in a poor neighborhood, it's very likely that, you know, you'll never get a chance to be around people who can teach you about building a business or, you know, see something outside of what you see every day. So what I've done is try to create a little presentation and we've gone into schools and talked to kids about, you know, real estate and real estate investment and trying to show them that there are ways that you can build a business from nothing, even if you didn't go to college. And you can, and also talking to girls about, you know, just because you're a woman doesn't limit your career choices. And kind of showing them a pathway to a different type of future that maybe they wouldn't be exposed to. And we, I kind of started that when, it's actually a funny story, but my, I used to have like a little moped scooter. Uh-huh. Those are cute. Yeah. And I had it parked outside of my house in the city. And one day I came back and it was gone. It was stolen. And so 
I was, you know, obviously really upset about it, but didn't hear anything about it for months. And then maybe six months later, I got uh, something in the mail that I needed to go to court because they had caught somebody on my scooter and they'd been arrested. And so I had looked up the person that who had, you know, had stolen my scooter and this kind of, you know, middle-aged guy popped up and so I was ready to go to court and be like, dude, why do you, you know, why do you steal my, my scooter? Yeah. But then when court approached, I got something else in the mail and I was able to have a little more information about the person that stole it. It was a 19 year old kid from North Philly. And I thought, well, I don't really want to put away a 19 year old kid, you know? So it, it kind of was uncomfortable for me because I thought like, all right, you know, it's a mistake, but he is technically an adult at this point. So he's going to be charged as such. It'll be on his record forever. And when I went to court, I was able to work out a deal where instead of having him go to jail or just have to pay lots of money, we worked out a deal where he came and worked for me. So when I went into the courtroom, I realized it was, you know, it was a, a kid who had stolen my, my scooter, basically. So he was 19. He was from North Philly. He'd been in trouble before, and I didn't really feel right about sending him away and having something on his record permanently. So we ended up working out a deal where instead of him, you know, going back to the detention center, he came, he was already in the detention center for something else. But uh, instead of that, he would come and work for me at my construction company. And he would work off the money that he would owe me, you know, for restitution for stealing the scooter. And when he finished to work off that money, his uh, the charge would be expunged from his record. So that way, because this was the only charge he had as a person who was over 18. So that way, you know, his record was clear and it was a chance to kind of show him some some job skills and hopefully give him a new path. So the prosecutor worked with you to do this? Yeah. So the, actually his lawyer, he had a, you know, a court appointed lawyer and she had actually gone to my school when I was younger, apparently, but I worked it out with, uh, with her and the prosecutor, I guess, or the district attorney, whatever it's called. We ended up being able to work out this deal. So he came and started working for me and and he, you know, he worked for me for, I guess, like a summer and so forth and paid off. He just finished paying off his uh, restitution. But it kind of opened my my mind a little bit just to sort of see like, all right, well, there are a lot of kids in the city that really just need some guidance and they need a pathway. So since then, I've made a point to try to hire people that have, you know, been incarcerated and I've also done work with foster kids. I hired a couple of kids who were in foster care, um, you know, for the summer and to teach them about construction. And I started giving presentations in schools uh, to teenagers on how to start your own business and how to earn money in real estate and things like that. Wow. What an amazing story. And do you keep in touch with them? Yeah, actually, we, we just uh, were texting this morning. Got into trouble for something else, but... <laughs> He was on house arrest and he's, you know, coming out. So I'm trying to get him to come back and, you know, hopefully get back into construction and, and, uh, but it's tough. There are a lot of influences in the city 
and there aren't a lot of influences in the city. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of in that constant battle. Well, I also wanted to say congratulations to you, Rachel, because over the past two years, you had a major life event. And I'm not talking about that cute pit bull that you were always posting on your Instagram. (laughs) You became a foster mom, right? And I wanted to know what inspired you to do that. And how has that changed your life? So I actually met my son through work. He came to work for me through in the summer and we just bonded. He was in a different foster home and, you know, just over the course of the summer really realized that this would be a better fit for him. And uh, I kind of fought to get him here. And then right now, I think next in a week or so we should be going to court because I'm fostering to adopt him. So the adoption should be going through sometime, hopefully next month, but it's been delayed because of COVID, but I think hopefully in March we should be uh, ready to go. So. Wow. That's huge. Congratulations. Thank you. So yeah, it's definitely a life change. Becoming now a mom to a a teenager. So. (laughs) Well, I've mentioned this before because I'm a big believer that finding equality for women starts, you know, not just with our young girls, but of course, teaching young boys about injustice and making sure that they're a big part of the solution and not part of the problem. And your son is a young man now. How can we help raise responsible and respectable men? Yeah, so I think that that's, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of people put focus on, so much focus on women and, you know, how to react to you know, being a woman and a, a woman in a, in a male dominated field, or just a woman in general, and sort of the challenges that we face as women. But I think a lot of that effort should be redirected toward, you know, really raising men, right, and raising boys, right. And with my son, what I've tried to instill in him is, you know, a, a deep respect for women and a respect for their abilities. And we've, I've always tried to lead by example with them. So to show them, you know, they see me out there alongside of them when they, when he worked for me, you know, his little brother's actually living with us now too. So, you know, but when we were out there working together, he would see me shoveling concrete right next to him or or carrying out stuff. And so I worked extra hard so that I was always outworking him. <laughs> and nothing motivates a, a teenage boy more than having a woman out, out, outwork them. So <laughs> I wanted to, you know, but I really wanted to show them that, you know, women can do, can do anything that men can do uh, in business and, and so forth. And really talk about the language we use about women and boundaries and respect. And I'm really proud to, to, to see him grow and he's he's got just gone into college he's gonna go in the fall wow that's great yeah so but he's he's really turned into a very polite uh and respectful young man which is what i can hope for <laughs> so that's wonderful well rachel where can everyone find you where can our listeners get in touch with you or check out your show so my show is on the diy network it's called philly revival if you google that or go to the DIY Network's website, you'll see it. It's also on YouTube. And my construction company is Hestia Construction. That's H-E-S-T-I-A. We have a website and uh, Instagram is Hestia Philly. We all, I also have a real estate team called The Street Group at Space and Company. Our Instagram is The Street Group. And yeah, so you can find us there. 
Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast. You're actually one of our original Hazard Girls joining the group and speaking on the Hazard Girls career panel. So it's been really great to work with you. And not only are you super inspiring in all of the work that you do, but you're really an awesome role model for all the young girls who watch your show and see that it's possible to be a woman, be yourself, and be a leader in the industry. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been exciting to see Duno Jones also. Yes. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.